Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Hey everyone, and welcome to Life Together. We're so glad that you're with us here tonight. I see some new faces here, and we're so excited that you would come and join us. My name is Dan, and I lead this group with my wife, Mandy. We're here every Wednesday, and at the beginning of of the year, there's new exciting things happening. Last Wednesday was our first Life Together of the year, and we had a record attendance of over 300, which is really cool. If you were thinking about making Life Together your Wednesday evening home, we are so excited that you are here with us. One of the things that we love to do in Life Together is to kick into a book study in the Word of God. We believe that when we spend time in His Word, that His Word is transformative to our lives today. And so we're excited to get launched into a brand new book study. We're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. But before we do, I wanted to take some time and talk about the five books that are grouped around the book of Ecclesiastes. These books are known as the books of wisdom. They're in the middle of your Bible, and they are a little bit different than the books that come before them and a little bit different than the books that come after them. One thing that's really unique about these five books is that the majority of them are written as poetry, not prose, but is poetry, which is really interesting. If you went to your high school history textbook and you sat down and you realized that you had a 300-page history textbook that was written in poetry, you might say to yourself, I don't think this is a history book, and you would be right. And because you would treat that book differently probably means that we should treat the books of wisdom a little bit differently. What I'd like to do before we get into Ecclesiastes is take just two or three minutes and do a quick flyover view of these five books of Old Testament wisdom. And the first book would be Job. If I was to funnel the book of Job down into one word, the word would be suffering. It is a story of a man who loses everything and yet remains faithful to God. If the book of Job was a song, it would be a country song because he loses his wife and his children and his house and his crops, and he keeps his mother-in-law. That's the book of Job. So the next book would be the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is the collection of songs that the people of God would sing. I love the book of Psalms. I love how it teaches us that through the darkest places and through the brightest places, we can still worship and give thanks to God. If I was to put the book of Psalms down into one word, the word would be singing. If I was to put the book of Psalms into one song, it would sound like every single song on Christian radio. Yes, because it starts off very, very dark with uh, references to dark clouds or chains or oceans or storms, but then suddenly you hit the chorus and it's like, God is great. He is good. And it's very uplifting. You know, God wants to teach us to be a singing people through the challenging places and through the victories that we can be with him, we can rejoice, and we can sing together his praise. 
The next book is the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. So some of it is written by King Solomon, but King Solomon is the one who's attributed with pulling together, compiling all of these wise sayings. It would be as if you would sit down with a notebook and you would start writing out every good piece of advice that you've ever received. If I was to put the book of Proverbs down into one word, that word would be discerning. There are voices calling to us in our life. There is a voice of wisdom that is calling to us. There is a voice of foolishness that is calling to us. Which voice will you listen to? If the book of Proverbs was a song, it wouldn't be a song. It would be a TED Talk or a PBS special or a deep lecture from your grandfather. (laughs) And that's the book of Proverbs. The next book is the book of Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. This is a a poetic retelling of a love story. If I was to put the book of Song of Songs down into one word, that word would be desiring. It's interesting that in Jewish tradition, uh, young Hebrew boys, as they were learning the Bible, they were not allowed to read the book of Song of Songs until they had reached a certain age. So if, if the book of Song of Songs was put into one song, it would be a love song, but it would be the type of love song that if it comes on while your kids are in the car, you would turn the channel very quickly. Ecclesiastes is actually book four out of five, but we've saved it for last because it is the book that we're going to focus on for the next six weeks. This book is only 12 chapters long. You could read the whole thing in about 30 minutes, but we're going to take time to focus in on this beautiful, powerful, and sometimes confusing book. If I was to filter the whole book of Ecclesiastes down into one word, the word would be meaning, asking these difficult questions in life of why? If the book of Ecclesiastes was put down into one song, it would be like listening to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On while listening to an unending replay list of Baby Shark do 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 do. Why? Ecclesiastes leans into the confusing moments of life and it asks for how we can find our meaning. It's not an easy book to get through because this is not an encouraging song from Psalms. This is not a easy-to-apply proverb from Proverbs. And before we start into reading the first chapter and the first verse, I want to take a moment and talk about a word that is very, very important in the book of Ecclesiastes. It appears 38 times, and it is the Hebrew word hevel. If you were trying to spell that with English letters, it would be H-E-V-E-L, hevel, Most of you probably have this word translated in your Bibles as the word meaningless. Four times in Ecclesiastes, the writer says that everything is meaningless. Not some things, not most things. Everything is meaningless. You might have the word vanity if you have an older translation of the Bible. Everything is vanity. Not some things, not most things, but everything is vanity. One of the challenges of reading the Bible in not its original language is that sometimes words in the English language don't have a perfect match. So uh, in the Spanish language, the word hola means hello in English, and it's a really good match. But if you look at the Hawaiian language, the word aloha, well, it means hello sometimes, but it's not always a great match. And the Hebrew word hevel, yes, it means meaningless. Yes, it means vanity, but it means a little bit more. And I'd like to take a moment and look at that complexity. 
to replace the word hevel with meaningless or vanity isn't quite enough. The word literally means mist or vapor. It's where we get the title for our sermon series. Ecclesiastes is about finding meaning in the mist, meaning in the hevel. There's two additional words that I want to use to expand our understanding of this Hebrew word, and the first is fleeting. Hevel is fleeting, fleeting like a mist. Everything is fleeting. There are a lot of things that end unexpectedly. Can you remember the, the last like really great meal that you had over the holidays? I know I've got some cooks in the room who probably made some very excellent meals, who spent time, quality time, cooking and baking and shopping and pulling out the nice china sets and making a table look wonderful. You finish that meal and then what happens in four hours? Well, the strangest thing, in four hours you're standing in front of the fridge looking for a snack. Why? Because you're hungry again, and in the fleeting nature of life, it is as almost as if that wonderful meal never happened. What if everything is fleeting? The other word I want to use here is to explain that Hevel is an enigma. It's difficult to pin down, as difficult as it would be to pin down a vapor. Everything is an enigma. Everything is a paradox. And this is where the book of Ecclesiastes differs greatly from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is full of wonderful counsel and advice for how life should work. If you are faithful, if you work hard, if you are kind and caring, then good things are going to happen. This is how life should work. And Ecclesiastes chimes in and says, but it doesn't always work that way. Ecclesiastes points out that sometimes very righteous people die way too early. It points out that some people who work very hard and are very talented at their work still lose their jobs. Ecclesiastes doesn't want you to look away from the paradox. Ecclesiastes wants you to take a moment and take a breath and stare into the mist and see why is everything Hevel, and how do we find meaning in the mist? Can we pray as we get started tonight? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are kind and compassionate, and we thank you for your spirit. We believe that as we spend time in your word tonight, that your Holy Spirit can be moving with us, and beyond the words in the page, your Holy Spirit can speak to us and allow our hearts to be shaped and transformed by your word. We need you, and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, will you open your Bible or scroll on your Bible and let's come together to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and let's get started into this beautiful book of the Bible. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 through 3 says this, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is, there it is, meaningless. Hevel, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? We're going to hit points in this series where you're going to say, is Pastor Dan trying to bum me out? But let's take a moment here and let's give Ecclesiastes its credit. And I'm going to ask you a question. What did you do yesterday? Did anyone do any dishes? Where are you at? Who, I did some dishes yesterday. And how long will it be until those dishes need to be done again? Hevel. Did anyone put gas in their car? Yes. And how long is it going to take you before you are at that tank filling up again? Ecclesiastes would call that hevel. 
Did anyone get a haircut? Did anyone put deodorant on? Did anyone do their makeup or pluck that unibrow that keeps growing back? Hevel, did anyone resolve an issue with a coworker? Did anyone argue with their spouse? Did anyone pay their utility bill? Did anyone jog or eat a cheeseburger? Or eat a cheeseburger right after you went for a jog? Hevel, everything that we do has an amazing ability to be undone, and the enemy of our undoing is time. We're going to talk in this series about the problem of work, the problem of wisdom, of pleasure, of justice, and of youth. But today, we're going to talk about the problem of time, and we're going to let the author of Ecclesiastes take us a little bit deeper into the mist. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4 through 9 says this, Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing up circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. There's a Bible teacher by the name of Tim Mackey, and he sums up the passage of Scripture that we just read by saying this, go climb a mountain and see if it cares. That mountain, it was there a long time before you climbed it, and it will be there a long time after Time can be a giant eraser, and it will come and erase the footprints of our lives from the sand along the shoreline, and it will come and erase the names of our existence from the lips of mankind. What are the things that time cannot erase? Ecclesiastes says, the earth never changes. So when I think about time as a giant eraser in the world, I am greatly intimidated by that eraser, and I want to ask myself, what are the things that time cannot erase? I am so thankful that the Word of God tells us about the things that time cannot erase. 1 Corinthians 13.13 says this, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I had someone recently who led me through an exercise talking about the influence of our love, and it was really powerful, and I wanted to take a minute and let you kind of join me in this exercise. And so to do this, you're going to need to come up with two dates, and I'm going to tell you what my dates are, and that will help you find yours. So the first date is, I want you to think about the oldest person that you've ever loved. So you're going to need to go back to when you were very, very young, and when you were very, very young, who is the oldest person that ever loved you and that you ever loved back? So for me, that person would be my great-grandmother. Her name was Luella Berry, and she lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I can remember as a seven-year-old what it felt like to run into her house on the day after Christmas and get to see my great-grandmother. She wasn't just a name. She was a person, and my life will always be benefited from that love and from that relationship. So Luella Berry was born in 19. 19- 
20. So find your date. I know I have a few people in this room who are a couple decades older than me. You might even be able to name someone who goes back before the turn of the century. How cool is that, that the impact of your love, who anticipated your love, would go that far? And now, the other date is we're going to go way into the future, and you have to use your imagination. So I want you to think of the youngest person that you will ever love. So for me, I'm going to imagine that it's a great-grandchild. I worked this out of my head that if I lived until uh, 2063, I'll be 80. And so if I had a great-grandchild that was born when I was 80, now we're going to be really generous with this child. So whatever date you imagine that they are born, we're going to give them 100 years to live. So I'm going to imagine that I might have someone that I love, a great-grandchild, who could live all the way until 21 63. Isn't that crazy? So that's so far in the future. Think of what your early date and your late date is, and then see what the difference is between those. My difference is about 240 years, and that's a very long time. Someone might feel really thankful that the impact of your love, those who anticipated your love, and those who will remember your love could spread wide on a timeline and could last as long as 240, 250 years long, that feels very long until you compare 250 years to the age of Lake Michigan or the age of the sun or the moon or the stars. And Ecclesiastes would remind you that when you do that, 250 years starts to feel like a beautiful blink. You know, it begins to remind us that our lives can feel like a mist, that it can feel like a beautiful blink. And if you spent too much time thinking <laughs> about these things, it could cause oneself to spend too much time parking oneself in the parking lot of a Taco Bell. We, <laughs> we can be thankful for what is God has given to us, but how do we find meaning in the mist. Ecclesiastes verse 10 and 11 says this. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what is being done now. You know, these verses should not be on a poster in your high school principal's office. <laughs> It is not very encouraging if Jimmy's sitting there saying, you know, hey, you know, I'm sorry that I'm failing geometry, and the principal says, hey, Jimmy, no worries, this will all be forgotten. Hey, Principal Castro, you know, thank you so much, because um, I agree, geometry will for be forgotten, totally. No, no, Jimmy, not geometry, you. You will be forgotten. This is why time is a problem. It is pushy. It is always moving us along, and it doesn't discriminate. I have a cousin who lives up in Appleton, and this year they had twin boys. And so it's very exciting. It, all, the whole family is really excited about it, and it's really cool that in as that year pushes forward, there are two new lives out to know God, out to explore the plan that God has for their lives. How great is that? And yet that same one year passing also means that my grandmother who I love who lives in Fort Myers, Florida is now one year further into her 80s and one year closer to the death of her mortal body. And time doesn't discriminate. It keeps pushing. No one asked my permission. Time is a problem. Mandy and I this last Saturday went to a funeral 
for a friend of ours who was 40 years old and died of cancer with four children under the age of 13. Hevel. It's not right. It's not fair. Time is a problem. There was a psychologist who had two sons, and he wanted to do an experiment because his two sons were so different. One of them was so optimistic, and one of them was so pessimistic, and he wanted to figure out a way to shift their thinking. So he started with his pessimistic son, and he went to his garage, and he filled his garage with just every good thing that a child could want. And so he went in, and the, the pessimistic son walks into this garage, and it's filled with toys, and he stares at all the toys, he counts all of them up like a, like a shop owner keeping track of his inventory. He sees there's food and snacks, and in the corner there is these three little kittens that are just waiting to be loved. And the pessimistic son, he walks right back to his dad, and he says, my favorite toy isn't there, my favorite food isn't there, and I'm a dog person. No change. Well, the optimistic son is sitting there close by, and the psychologist has a new idea. of Maybe if he can't make his pessimistic son more optimistic, maybe he can then move his optimistic son in the other direction. So he clears out his garage, and he fills his garage with two tons of horse manure. It is just piled six feet high. The optimistic son walks in, he stares at it, he smells, and as he smells, a big grin comes across his face, and suddenly he jumps and he runs, and he starts running up on top of this pile of horse manure, and he is digging and flinging piles of poop, and he exclaims, with all of this poop, there has to be a horse somewhere. <laughs> with all of this trouble, there has to be something good here. With all of this mist, there has to be meaning. When you are staring face to face with the problem of time, I want to encourage you to loosen your grip on the temporary and hold fast to the eternal. Time is a giant eraser, but there are a few things that will not be Erased. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible that you're holding, the cell phone that you're holding, will eventually decompose. It may take a long time, but it will eventually turn back into dirt. But the words in your Bible will not be erased. When it comes to the words of Jesus Christ, there are only three options. Jesus was either a liar who intentionally deceived people with a genius level of intelligence. He was a lunatic who somehow against inconceivable odds fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. Or he was exactly who he said that he was. And if he was, then every word that he said is true. Every promise that he said will come to pass, and we can trust in the unchanging nature and words of Jesus Christ. When I think about life being filled with hevel, when I think about time pushing against me, I am so thankful that the words of Jesus Christ will never change. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. That will always be true. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Praise God, that will always be true. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have eternal life. His words are true, and they will always be true. 
You know, when you face the discouragement of time, I want to challenge you to anchor yourself to the Word of God. Not to a Google update, not to a science textbook, not in what your neighbor thinks or your sister thinks. Anchor yourself in the timeless truth of the Word of God. His words will not fail. You know, if you have more of affection of, for the temporary trappings of the world than you do for the Word of God, you are probably going to get lost in the mist. It is so easy to get lost in the mist if you latch onto his words and if you find your identity in his unchanging nature, I believe with all of my heart you will find meaning in the mist. I, I see where you are. I want to tell you that you know, there have been challenging days in my life when you feel like you're just walking through a cloud. And if we can latch onto the word of God, he never changes. He will not be erased. And you can find meaning in the mist. I want to challenge everyone that's here today to also anchor yourself to the people of God. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus is setting up Peter as a leader in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not like any other kingdom. And Jesus says, I will build my church and the, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The prophet Daniel said it like this, in this time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. In the hevel of time, I want to challenge you to anchor yourself to the people of God. His church, his kingdom. This isn't a club. It's not a religion. It's the people of of God, the church of Jesus Christ will not be extinguished. And the church of Jesus Christ is here to remind you that you don't have to go through the hevel alone. One of the worst side effects of being stuck in the mist is feeling alone, a feeling that you have to figure this out yourself and that you are the only one who has experienced what you are currently experienced and that you are the only one who can see your way out. And we need to anchor ourselves to the people of God. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to walk through the mist unguided. God has given you his word and he's given you his family. Here's the challenge for today. Anchor yourself to the word of God. Anchor yourself to the people of God, and you will find meaning in the mist. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person who walked in this door tonight. I pray that every person who's here would feel seen by your spirit, and that in our struggle, that you would meet with us right now. You know, talking about these subjects can be very difficult. Uh, talking about grief can be very difficult. And I, I know, I've, I, I see how that affects hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your healing for the loss of time. You would give us your healing for the things that just don't make sense. And in the unanswered questions and in the struggle, that you would be with us tonight. I pray for every person tonight who feels a little lost in the mist. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to anchor ourselves in your word. Help us to anchor ourselves with your people, that we don't have to go through this alone, and that with you, we can be a people who are driven and purposeful, and we understand the why 
of our existence. We love you. I pray that as we leave this place, I pray that you would walk out the door with us. I pray that the words you've spoken to us, that you would allow us to be encouraged and challenged and that we will be carriers of your spirit into every room we walk into, into every conversation we walk into. We love you. We need you. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.